This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. All the way from the A, you listen to my favorite lesbian on BRQ. Hey, stay locked in with your favorite lesbian on Black Radical Queer. Yeah. Hey y'all, this is Javi Nicole, aka your favorite lesbian, and you're listening to Black Radical Queer Podcast, our stories on our own terms. Before diving into this episode, I want to take a moment to tell y'all about Black Radical Queer on Patreon. Patreon is a great way to support the podcast because those contributions help to offset the cost of making this thing happen. So production costs, editing costs, hosting fees, all of the funds from the Patreon go towards supporting that and keeping this podcast moving right on along. Um, Also, there's perks to becoming a patron because you get early access to the episodes and you also get a discount on all BRQ merch. So it's a great way to support. Um, I appreciate my current patrons. And if you want to become a patron, you can do so by going to patreon.com. So Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Black Rat Queer. B-O-K-R-A-D-Q-W-R. Thank you so much for listening. And let's get into this episode. Hey, y'all. This is Javi Nicole. Welcome to another episode of Black Radical Queer Podcast. This episode is a part of a series called Click by BRQ. CLIC is QLIC, which stands for Queer Love in Color. And the point of this series is to specifically focus on um, love, relationships, um, and representation from the perspective of queer people of color, um, whether they be in relationships, um, whether those relationships are, um, I guess you could say traditional or like monogamous, non-monogamous, whatever that looks like, as well as folks who are single. Um, But the point is just to get the perspective of queer people of color about um, what has shaped our views and our experiences in the area of love and relationships and representation. So on this episode, I actually have a guest returning. I have Karen on with me, um, which I'm excited because this actually is a topic that um, Karen and I touched on way back when. I was looking back at the episodes and I'm like, dang, that was a while ago. (laughs) That was one one of the earlier episodes of the podcast, um, but we did touch on it. Um, and so I want to really do like a continuation of that conversation that we started. Um, but for those of you who are not familiar with Karen, I want to give him an opportunity to introduce himself before I um, start to ask him stuff. <laughs> Hi, uh, thank you for having me on, Javier. Um, my name's Kieran Scarlett. I'm a writer. I can be found on Twitter at Dan Blackroyd. I host my own podcast called You Started It, which Javier has been on, where I interview people who are either people of color or members of the LGBTQ community or both, uh, as is often the case. And I talk to them about a media text, like a movie or a TV show. Sometimes it's music that was formative to their identity and how they came to see the world or one that, you just, one that they just like. Like there have been a lot of conversations where it's just us talking about something that they like, that they really are into. And it's really interesting to see how the pop culture really is a portal into the personal a lot of times. Like Janet Monk says, the pop culture is pers- your pop culture tastes are often personal. And I haven't done an episode in a while just because, you know, quarantine and COVID and um, mourning different thing. This has been a year. 
for everyone, as you can imagine. But, you know, I'm getting back into it and I have some episodes banked and I'm excited. And I love Javia's podcast and I'm so happy that she asked me to be on again. It's very exciting to talk to her. Yeah, I said way back then that I would have him back on. <laughs> um, and a lot of time has passed, um, but I, that's definitely something that I always kept in mind. Um, as he mentioned, yeah, this has absolutely been a year. Um, there have been some fluctuations in terms of me uh, putting out episodes and stuff like that, but um, because life, <laughs> honestly, that's that's what it is, because life. Yeah, yeah, and I purposely like, when I was just saying, that, oh, I haven't done an episode in a while, it, I... I kind of had to train myself out of saying that with a, with an apologetic tone mm. or with like a way of like shame mm-hmm. because I mean, you, you do a podcast, so you know that it's a lot of, it's a lot of work. Even, mm-hmm. when, even when you have people helping you, it's a lot of work. And you always have people helping you in a sense that like no one is an Island, but it's a lot of work. And not only that, but it's a lot of, it's not passive work. It's very, right. it's work that engages like every part of you. It's like, it's physical, Cause like you, you sometimes have to hype yourself up to be able to record. Mm-hmm. And also it's like, it's mental and it's emotional because podcasts, you know, you're talking to another person and sometimes just gets deep. And like, I just was not in a place to do it for the longest time. I, um, I had a falling out with a very, very close friend this, this year and it was my fault. So I've been kind of dealing with that, like mm. sort of, you know, just sort of reflecting and being, and oh, we're also quarantined. It's just been a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, you know what? We're, you're a content creator as well. It's like, I'm creating this free of charge. I want to do it, but like, I don't owe anyone a timetable. Right. Especially in a time like this where like, we really have to be taking care of ourselves. Otherwise, you know, we might not be taking care of ourselves. Right. (laughs) No, I mean, the thing is, and that's, I had to go through that same process. So I understand. Um, Even though we, we, like you said, we are like bringing this to folks free of charge. And even though I do like to do it, um, I'm not obligated to do it. And, um, you know, if it's, I still have to make it work for me. So if it's just a time frame where it's not working for me, um, then I have to honor that and do what I have to do. And it was very difficult. Now I don't feel as, um, I don't feel a way about it as much as I used to, but early on when I had really established this very consistent schedule of pushing out episodes every week, it's a lot of work. And That's that a lot was of, not it's a lot of pressure too. It's a lot yeah, of it is. And folks are like, when's the next episode? When's that? And I'm just yep. like, yep. you know, it's a lot. Um, whenever I see a, a content creator take a pause or a break or whatever, I'm never one of those folks who's like, when's the next this or whatever? Because people are human and they need breaks. So I'll, I might notice like, hey, I'm someone who listens to your podcast or I'm someone who, um, you know, basically consumes your content but you are human. You don't, you're not obligated to do this at any point. You could be like, this ain't working for me and I'm not going to do it. So. Um, and I think, I, and I, and I understand like people who say that, cause like, I've heard that too. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have any, I don't have as many listeners as you do. And I'm, and I'm not being like self-deprecating. I just don't because, but I've heard it where it's like, Oh, you know, when is it? You, I, I love your podcast. Watch you stop. And it's like people, I understand why people think that mm-hmm. that would be received as a compliment. And it is on some level, but it's also like, we're already feeling that tenfold within ourselves. Mm-hmm. And like, that's not, that's not helpful. It's not. It's not, it's, <laughs> not, it's not helpful, especially for something that you're consuming for free. Mm-hmm. And it's just a lot of, a lot goes into it. And I don't think people realize that with the content that they consume for free online and the people are putting it out so you can, so you can consume it, but like right. someone still has to do that work. That's labor. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. And I, I tell I tell my listeners that all the time. I'm like, you know, 
I started this because it was something that was important to me. Um, but at any point, if I feel like, hey, this is too much, then I will take the breaks that I need or I will just stop um, because I can't beat myself up about that. And I, it was different initially. Like I, was, I felt very bad. But after a while, I'm just like, listen, I'm human. I can only do so much. This is a lot of work. Um, and especially like you said, of course, we're not islands. But when you're, you know, smaller and you're like doing all the stuff yourself. Um, I have a producer, but she also has her own shows and her own life. And so we transitioned to really me doing like my own editing and stuff like that. Me. So that was even more. I mean, it was already a lot of work when she was doing the editing. Um, but then when she, you know, had more her capacity, just she couldn't do it. Um, and I still wanted to bring the show. So then I started doing my own editing. It's not my forte. So then that's more stuff I'm having to do. So it just really added up and it got to a point where I wasn't enjoying it. And so I was like, I'm going to take a break. Um, so now I put out the content when I put out the content. <laughs> I don't um, I don't promise to stick to a particular schedule. I used to like, oh, every week, blah, blah, blah. Or then I did seasons and I did this. No, I'm going to put it out when I put it out. <laughs> Folks will listen or they won't or whatever. And if I don't have the capacity to do it, I'm not going to do it. Absolutely. And like uh, that, that makes it better. That makes the, that makes the final product better because, mm -hmm. and also like this whole thing where people are like, I understand consistency in the sense that like, I do feel like I'm consistently, you know, writing or creating or having ideas and doing things with them. But there's this writer who I'm not going to say his name because he's a good guy and I actually like him and I don't think he's doing anything wrong per se, but he has this, way of getting on Twitter and sort of like handing out advice to other writers, which I was doing yesterday, but I was having a, I was handing out advice like, oh, make sure you're getting paid for stuff because you know, you're important and your labor is important. So, but he's kind of like one of those, oh, make sure you read every day writers and you know, people who don't read every day, they're not successful. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, who are you saying that for? Are you saying that for other people? Are you saying that for yourself to justify things? Because like, I feel like write every day I mean, if you are up to writing that day, then write. If you're not up to writing, then don't write. Like there's nothing, if you take a week, a month, there are writers who have taken, you know, entire years where they thought they didn't want to write anymore. And then they come back and write, you know, their magnum opus or they don't. But at the, at the end of the day, like be happy, take care of yourself. Like don't, you're not on anyone's timetable and no one is paying your rent or your bills. So this whole idea of write every day, it just, it feels so, it feels like such a um, defense mechanism without, mm. without people realizing it. I think, it's, I think it's that. And it's also just a byproduct of capitalism. I mean, we're, totally. you know, we're taught that like, if you're not being productive, then what are you doing? Like, if you're not producing something, creating something or whatever, making something working, um, what is your significance? So I think it's like, you know, that whole idea of if you're not writing every day, you're not a serious writer, which ultimately means you're not a writer that deserves to get paid. I mean, it's like, that's what people, that's ultimately what it's boiling down to. Right. Um, and so, I mean, I, I even dealt with a lot of like guilt and issues around that because I, writing is my first love. Um, I've never, when I was younger, I definitely wrote very consistently. And as I've gotten older, that has become a lot more sporadic. And for the longest time, I felt terrible about it. I'm just like, I'm not, am I really a writer and blah, blah, blah. And it, why does it matter? I mean, I ultimately, um, I had to just, come to the realization that, look, I have to ultimately write for myself first and foremost, and none of that other shit matters. Whether I write daily or once a year, it doesn't matter. Like, am I writing what's true to me? Am I being true to myself? Instead of just writing stuff just to write it. Because to me, I, um, 
like quality does not quantity does not negate quality. I care about the quality more than the quantity. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know? And and even if those two are married, like even if you're doing a lot of quality work, like that can burn you out. And mm-hmm. also this whole idea of when you were saying where like if you're not writing every day, you're you're not a writer who deserves to get paid. But it's also this idea of like, oh, if you're not working yourself to death, like even going back to grad school, like there were people who would be like, oh, I, I stayed up all night writing these pages. Mm-hmm. And, and they were kind of like, they would kind of laugh at me because I'm like, oh, I don't do, like my whole thing was like, I don't do all-nighters, like I go to bed. Right, it's like a badge of honor for them though. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't, I'm like, there, there's nothing, there's nothing that I've, I've done all-nighters before. Like I'm a human being, I went to, I went to college, like we've right. all done it before, especially black people who are like kind of forced, like we have this sort of workhorse mentality for so many insidious reasons, but like, mm-hmm. I'm not, I've never done anything in an all-nighter that was necessary, that was worth not sleeping. Like, go to sleep. The world the world is asleep. Go to sleep. Or maybe the world isn't asleep, but you know what? You're a human being. You need to sleep. And not sleeping is not a badge of honor. It's not something honorable. Right. It's not, it's not, something, that, it's not something that you need to do for success. And it's not healthy. <laughs> it's not healthy. And these people who are like, oh, Diddy's like, like um, P. Diddy, who, um, you know, he's very entrenched in capitalism, obviously, but like, mm-hmm he loves to say like, oh, you know, there's, everyone has the same 24 hours in a day. And so, no, they don't. I'm like, right. I'm like your 24 hours looks a lot different than everyone, than some people. It's easy for folks with money to say that too. Because <laughs> yeah. he probably didn't even feel that way before he had money. And like that, but like you have money and you're not, I mean, this is just me, but like he has money and he's not particularly talented. Like who thinks he's a good rapper? <laughs> no one, no one, no one thinks he's a good rapper. So you right. sit his ass down. I, 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 <laughs> if you see my Twitter, like I hate, he's like my, he's like my enemy who, I, who I've never met, but I don't like him. But anyways, mm. I, I, no, I took I us off course by talking. I follow about you on Twitter, so I know the deal. <laughs> I took us off course by talking about productivity, so I'm sorry about that. No, it's okay. Um, I, when I say I feel you, I feel you. So in the previous episode, um, you asked, you know, one of the things that you asked was w- once I started to realize um, just like my own, basically my own queerness or like when I saw that, oh, well, I'm interested in a relationship that may look different than what I've seen around me. Did I see any examples? Um, and I talked about, basically, I felt like, based on how I felt, I had an outline, but because I didn't have those possibility models, I didn't have any way to color it in. Um, and I wasn't sure like what to, how to, like how it could really be a thing. I just knew how I felt. <laughs> and, that's, and that's all I had to work with. Um, so for you, as you, you know, grew up, um, what types of just like, relationships and representations did you see around you like in person and just in media and so how did that really inform um what you envisioned for yourself for a future relationship there weren't a lot of representation there wasn't a lot of representation i can kind of look to in my youth and childhood that was like black gay men or black queer men in relationships necessarily or not even necessarily like at all I kind of think about the examples of black male queerness that I saw and it was all sort of like, it was all broad caricature. It was mostly comedy and it was mostly presenting black male queerness as something negative. You know, it was um, like the men on film sketch on In Living Color or it was, you know, Wayman in A Low Down Dirty Shame, Jada Pinkett's roommate, or it was, like I'm trying to think of other people 
or it was or, or it was people who were sort of coded as being a little bit queer or a little bit gay like i feel like carlton on fresh prince of bel-air sort of had this queer code to him mm-hmm. but, but obviously he wasn't you know he wasn't literally queer that was just about sort of masculinity positioning. Mm-hmm. right like he was not as presented as masculine as well yeah ex- exactly but there wasn't a lot of like i'm trying to think of the first time i saw a black queer male on in media who was being this is such a i hate pointing to this but like he's not queer in the movie but obviously it's queer adjacent <laughs> it's um denzel washington in philadelphia mm, okay. who yeah, you've seen philadelphia right mm-hmm. yeah exactly which is um that movie is a little bit it's a little dusty but um <laughs> it's, it's a lot it's a lot dusty actually yeah, i'm about but, to say a lot but you know <laughs> you were being nice you know like even seeing you know Denzel Washington learn not to be violently disgusted by queer by a mm-hmm. gay man, but you know that was via a white gay man played by Tom Hanks. Right. So like there just wasn't a lot. I remember like Six Feet Under when I was sort of in college, still a teenager. Uh, Six Feet Under, which had um, Matthew St. Patrick who played Keith, uh, mm-hmm. David David's boyfriend, um, and but that was a relationship with a white man. But that was it was formative for me to see that I hadn't seen much before. And of course there was Dawson's Creek where we had Jack. I grew up watching that, Mm. but it was mostly like white people. And I didn't really see a lot of that in media. What I, what I remember myself doing a lot of was sort of refracting what my relationship expectations were going to be for like queer relationships, but sort of refracting it through like male, female relationships I saw, which obviously Mm. was interesting and like not completely unuseful because I think that people have, different roles that they play. And they also, gender is not as rigid mm-hmm. as people want to say. I, I don't even mean like in the you know obvious way that's not so rigid, but it's not even so rigid in the way that like, the way that men and women behave. In the roles just, that we play in the, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Like I would watch, I would see relationships where there was a lot of back and forth in terms, even something like Eric and Donna on that 70s show. Mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. watching that thinking like there was, you know, they did go back and forth between who was vulnerable and who wasn't. And mm-hmm. they did go back and forth between who was, you know, an asshole and who wasn't and who was more. And there was kind of, there was a kind of, there's something that you can draw from that. Mm-hmm. And I was, I found myself drawing from things that you wouldn't expect me to draw from. Like I drew from, you know, Dawson's Creek and I drew from, you know, even stuff like Say by the Bell or mm-hmm. like Disney or Disney Channel shows I would watch or this or that. And you do that because we're adept, um, you know, anyone with a marginalized with a marginalized identity is sort of adept, I think, at drawing those experiences into their own life from, mm-hmm. media, from media that's not seeing them or is not centering them. Right. So I think I learned how to do that very early on. And I think that was very useful for me. But it sort of did some other things in the other direction where I sort of didn't think I needed to see myself directly. Hmm. And I sort of how do I say this? I wish I had, I wish I had want, I wish I had known that I wanted to see certain things when I, instead of being like, oh, well, I can see it through this. Like, I don't, they don't have to be black. They don't have to be queer. Like, you know, so it's the sort of mm-hmm. like thing that white people say. And, right. Yeah. I mean, know, is like, that something that you, that you said? It's not something that I said, but it's something that if I'm honest with myself, it's something that I felt as like a young teenager. Okay. And you know, now I very much feel like, you know, people should see themselves and they should, not only should they see themselves, but they should see themselves and they should get access to create those stories themselves if they want Mm -hmm. to. Absolutely. And it's just, Um, it's amazing to think, sorry, but like, 
I don't know if you know this, but like older queer people, not, not older people, not older queer people, but like queer people, queer people in their 30s, for instance, there's sometimes this way where they jokingly like say, oh, the young people have it so easy. Mm-hmm. With like scorn. And I say that kind of happily where I'm like, oh, look at all the stuff that you get to consume. Look mm-hmm. at all the media that they get to have. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm excited honestly. about it because like they're going to do amazing things because right. of it. And I think it's like, you know, it's one of those things where this happens so much um, intergenerationally. I don't even know if that's a word, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm going with <laughs> today. Um, that's, a but, that's, a, that's a word, I think. Okay. So there's so much that happened that happens so often where it's like, you know, the generation before didn't necessarily have something. And then the one, you know, that comes after has it. And they're like, oh, you have it so easy. Um, and sometimes it is, um, sometimes there is scorn and even resentment and stuff like that um, for that. But for me, it's very, it's very exciting. And I'm very, um, there's some relief, honestly, because there are certain things that I went through or that I had to piece together that I, I would not want anyone else to have to do. Honestly, um, I don't want for, um anyone else to have to go through the experience of like not seeing yourself and so not feeling like you know who you are or how you love or any of that like is a part of this grand you know this like larger scope of what quote-unquote normal can look like like I don't want for anyone to have to question you know am I the only person that's going through this or experience this or, or like this or whatever um so to me it's really exciting that there is stuff and I still feel like there can be much more but um, that it's increasing because at least there's something to look to. You don't have to go like scraping some stuff together, which is a lot of what we did or just kind of looking at, like you were saying, um, which until you just said it, I didn't even fully like think about it that way, but looking at these, you know, straight relationships and really kind of just pulling from that. And of course I do, I definitely agree with, um, the way that roles play themselves out in gender are is definitely not as rigid and binary as I guess like society would have us believe and and not as rigid as it's like I don't even want to say portrayed but just the our societal rhetoric around it is way more rigid than the reality of how people live their lives um for sure for sure so so it makes sense like you know hey I, I'm able to look at these different relationships in this media or whatever um and kind of insert myself and i did that especially with music because i was like i still am but i listened to a ton of music i didn't watch a ton of tv but i was all about music and even something as simple as okay well i'm i'm not interested in singing to a guy so i'm just gonna change the words (laughs) like when i sing a song or i'm gonna sing a song that is by a guy to a woman or something i mean even making those changes um it's just what we were accustomed to doing as opposed to having a bunch of queer artists who just made music where it's like, hey, I don't have to switch this all up to feel like it connects with me more. It's funny that you mentioned that because don't you feel like, I was thinking about this the other day, like we have crossed so many frontiers in terms of queer representation, but pop music is like the last one where like, we don't have a lot of, we don't have any, we don't have any major pop music where it is like unambiguously like a guy singing to another guy, for instance, or like, I mean, we have, I feel like we have more, music that's sort of lesbian coded but even even still it's not like there's a lack of explicitness there where like there's a very explicit um expression of heterosexuality of cisgender heterosexuality Mm -hmm. music that we don't and we don't see that like it's like the last thing almost right or it's like it's a find it it is very um it's not what's mainstream you know it's Mm -hmm. i mean there's but there's also been 
a, a large, I guess, influx of independent artists and a lot of artists um, who are newer um, aren't necessarily with like major labels. And I think at least for me, like growing up, a lot of the music that I listen to, a lot of the artists that I'm accustomed to, um, the whole being with the label thing was big. Like it was just, that's just what you did. That's how you got your music out there because social media wasn't where it is now. So you had to get with the label and they got to distribute your stuff. And the first artist that I really saw who, um, who didn't take that path exactly was probably Janelle Monet. Um, at least that mm -hmm. I remember, I'm sure there were mm -hmm. other artists, but that I, that I knew an artist I was familiar with that, you know, who really was just like, you know, off, offered a deal. And she was like, no, I'm good. Like, I want to, you know, still do my own thing and going back and then being like, okay, well, we'll just distribute your music. But that label not having any control over her content. And um, so that was like a mind blowing thing to me. But as social media has increased, more artists are able to just be independent and put themselves out there and more are choosing to still stay on that path. Even if they get um, offers, they're still choosing not to um, necessarily sign to a label or not sign to a large one. So now we do have like this content. There is content now that is um, unambiguously queer, but it's not our mainstream pop folks, you know, is so, I mean, I'm glad those folks are accessible because with social media and um, all the streaming, like you can, we're, we're all find accessible it. to each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But in terms of just like, who do we see, you know, at the award shows and at, you know, just in, in the mainstream way uh, that hasn't changed as much. <laughs> and, that, and that makes me really sad just because like, I think to myself, I'm like, well, that means that we could still have a situation like, you know, Clyde Davis molded molded Whitney Houston to be that diva, right? Mm -hmm. And we now and we now know hearing from Robin Crawford, who has who wrote the book and who was and who talked about it, and it made me so angry when people were like, "Oh, why is she talking about it? Whitney's dead." I'm like, "It's her story too. That's what right. she's talking yeah. about." Right? It. It's, it's, it's not just Whitney's story. It's her life too, and you know, it's awful. I mean, we knew a lot of it. We knew a lot of it from speculation, but just mm -hmm. knowing the extent of it, it's really awful how. Like I think about that lyric in the um, Exhale Shoop Shoop song where she's like, if you're searching for a place, you know, a familiar mm -hmm. place, somewhere to go, you can look, you should look inside your soul, you're halfway there. And she was never able to sort of be herself publicly. And it really right. makes me sad. And it really ruined, it destroyed her. Yeah, um, I think it's, could, that's devastating. Be, we could still be doing that to artists. Mm -hmm. you know? And I think it still happens. I think like she is an example. She's just one example of an artist who that happened to, you know, um, I think so many, especially, I, I just think there are so many artists that like, um, especially the, the bigger they are and like the more, um, what's the word, like revered and just like the more that, the more fame they have and all that, I feel like it makes it even less, uh, it made it even less possible for them to just truly be themselves. Um, and people say similar things about like Luther Vandross and um, I mean, I, I definitely think that that is an element of it like okay well the price that you're paying for this fame is that you don't get to fully be yourself and how long is that supposed to be sustainable like i just don't know who who can do that for their entire lives i mean people do it but like how long is it is it sustainable before it has a major impact on you and you really start to to come like undone which is um, which so. is which is why i said like when barry manilow came out of the closet recently not he probably came out in 2017 i want to say mm -hmm. actually it's not like anyone was questioning whether that was true about barry manilow or not people right. made those jokes but like 
you know, at the same time, you know, good for him. Good for him that he's sort of felt com- that he felt comfortable enough to do it now, you know, mm-hmm. at, any, at any stage in his life. And that, you know, he can live openly and that he's not, he's unburdened for the rest of his life now. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's good. Like, he doesn't have to go feeling like he's keeping the secret. And, you know, he still has his fans. Like, he still ha- mm-hmm. he can still do his shows the way he was doing them before. And I think that with Whitney Houston, it would have been difficult because, you know, mm-hmm her fan base she's very she's a lot she's very she was mainstream popular when she passed away and Mm -hmm. it's hard to think of the it's hard not to imagine that she wouldn't have had like a little bit of a hiccup in terms of being able to transition to being openly oh yeah whatever like a lot a lot of a hiccup like i just it's hard to imagine that but god damn you know intense but god damn if you don't if you don't wonder if you don't always wonder if she would have been happier for it Mm -hmm. And, and if it would have saved her life i don't know right yeah, no, I definitely, that's something that, because I love, I love me some Whitney and my wife does too. And it, yeah, it's one of those things I really do wonder. I'm like, if she just had that freedom. Um, and it's something like um, I mentioned Janelle Monet, but even going back to her, um, a similar thing. I mean, for, you know, early on in her career, there was a, a plenty of speculation about her being queer, but she never was out. Um, and when she was asked questions about it, she would always kind of um, avoid them or, you know, kind of not really address it. Um, She just, she didn't say she wasn't, she didn't say she was. And I mean, of course I have my feelings about, I don't feel like anybody should be required to be out. Um, But I just think if it's something that um, is, if it's really weighing on you though, like if you feel like, hey, I can't live my life authentically or whatever, um, because I'm not out. And it's harder for folks who are in the public eye like that. Like, I think if you're just, um, a person who isn't who isn't a celebrity, um, then you can probably just like live your regular life. You don't have to necessarily be out, um, and it may not weigh on you as heavily. It may, but it may not weigh on you as heavily as someone who's in the public eye and who's asked all the time about you know your love life and relationships and all that. But for the longest time, she didn't speak on that until she came out. Um, so I always have mixed feelings because I feel like you know folks shouldn't have to go through that. Like people should just be able to be there, be themselves. But that's the reality is that's the world we live in for sure <laughs> where you know where you have to go through this whole coming out process but since she did though um there was a change in her and she always had a persona of being kind of like free and stuff like that but once she came out then it's like she started being a lot more vocal about everything yeah like she she seemed a little bit more comfortable in her body and mm-hmm. in sort of like her like she sort of incorporated more physicality into her music i feel like after that, where it was sort of, um, I mean, obviously Janelle Monae is gorgeous and she always has been, but, and I'm not, and I don't even mean that like her sexuality has to be like something for public consumption in like a tawdry mm-hmm. way, but like she became more open with it and she didn't seem like she was, it seemed like she was very much compartmentalizing the fact that she was sexy before because like mm. in, in order to not, comp- if she was going to acknowledge that in a way that was explicit, that kind of like is a, slippery slope to her sexuality mm-hmm, which she clearly didn't mm-hmm. want to address right and i also love what she said where like this was sort of leading up to it right before pink came out i think and this guy was like oh you know janelle, janelle monet is so sexy i just want to know if i have a chance with her she should like let us know or something like that some mm-hmm. guy said it on twitter and you know it's one of those things where like people say things on twitter without mm-hmm. realizing that you know the person is they have um, access <laughs> yeah. well like he, like i think he tweet i think he replied to her or something like that and, like, oh, okay they, and they always like act so offended when the person actually responds back with that smoke. And, and Janelle right. is like, I'm not for your consumption or any other man's consumption. Mm. And 
I really, I really like that where it's like, you know, I, I respect that part of it too, where it's like, you know, come, my thing about coming out is like, come out if you want to, if you feel comfortable and if you, and if it's safe for you to come out, like it's not, mm-hmm. it's not actually safe for everyone to come out. And I think right. that people, I wish people would realize that when they were, I wish people would realize that when they sort of pressure mm-hmm. people to come out because it's not, it's not, it's not, it's, not, um, it's, it's not definitely safe. not safe for everyone. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not. Um, no, I, I, I agree with seeing that transition. Like, I think that once she, um, once she came out, yeah, she definitely um, was more outwardly expressive of like just her sexiness, her sexuality. She seemed more um, confident and she definitely, I mean, she, it's not like she wasn't confident before and she definitely was um, physical in terms of like just seeing her live. She, um, I mean, she would just be all over the state. Like she was very physical, but also um, I feel like she, almost like tried to be neutral. That's the best way I can describe it. It's like- she, And she's a little bit buttoned up, kind of buttoned yeah, up before. Yeah, and I mean, I and I understood like the whole reasoning behind, you know, why she wore what she wore and, you know, that being important to her. Um, she didn't want to be sexualized. And and I mean, I understand it because just like her comment about I'm not for, you know, your consumption, it was that. It was like the outward expression of that. Like, okay, I don't, I don't want for you to focus on that. But once she, you know, came out and all that, it was, she seems like more comfortable um, asserting like, okay, well, this is like, I'm sexy. I can show that. Hey, I'm still not for your <laughs> consumption, but I can exactly. you know, show that. It, it feels like it's on, it feels like it's on her terms. Mm, right. And good for her that she allowed herself to get to that place organically and on mm-hmm. her, and on, and on her terms, like I said, where like, and I, I don't want to pick on her just because I think, you know, I don't want to pick on her. Like I have nothing against right. her. She's a person, but right. my but Miley Cyrus is sort of like every one of Miley Cyrus's transitions to like, you know, a sexy adult mm-hmm. woman, you know, when she's like swinging on the wrecking ball or where she's tweaking with right. Rob, Robin Thicke, like none of it, it feels like a react, if it all feels reactionary, first of all, it feels like a reaction to who she was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like and, and I want to go to the opposite end of the spectrum type of like, I am not Hannah Montana. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, and since, you know, and since she did not come up with the Hannah Montana persona, mm-hmm. she is therefore not coming up with this reaction to it. And not only that, but like, it right. still feels like there's a man behind it mm-hmm. anyway. It's very like, performative on both ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And like, and you saw it when she, you know, when she went back where she's like, oh, I, I think I'm out of my hip hop phase now. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, don't come back. But like, yeah, like, stay where you at. Thanks. Like, she, <laughs> she just like, and you see it now where like, you know, we kind of made fun of Taylor Swift. You know, Taylor Swift was kind of dorky. She was actually like, she was white feminism, but like Taylor Swift kind of on the low minds her own business. And I think Taylor Swift kind of has an identity that's hers now. Whereas like you look at a Miley Cyrus and she's a little bit untended. Like she's a little bit, mm-hmm. she's a little bit all over the place. She seems like she does not have a center to her. Right. And I think that, mo- I think that's what Janelle Monet was trying to avoid. Right. I think she, I mean, and I think she did well. Honestly, I think like, you know, everybody has their growing pains and stuff, but I think ultimately she, um, Janelle Monae did a good job of um, like exercising her agency and really doing, doing shit on her own terms, ultimately. And um, for so many folks, they're not able to do that. And especially for black folks and especially for black queer folks. Um, so I just think that it's awesome that that was something that she did. Yeah. Um, Janelle Monae did it so well, like, you know, cause she obviously, this was around the time, like, when, when Around Pink came out, mm-hmm. that was like shortly, I think that was after? Yes, it was around the time Moonlight, she appeared in Moonlight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, that was obviously a big transition for her in terms mm-hmm. of like, 
because she was in Moonlight and she was in Hidden Figures the same year. Right. And, oh, like a lot know. of getting her oh, acting on. She can do this. She was like, out here, man. Janelle was out here getting her coins. <laughs> yeah, and like the fact that she's in something like Antebellum, which is like getting so reviled by the black community, justifiably, but mm-hmm. like that's not going to hurt her at all because like right. she's she's because like we understand that she's adventurous and she's an artist and she takes mm-hmm. risks. I know the thing about taking risks is that sometimes risks pay off and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't. Yeah. But she has enough like. I feel like she has done enough and it's not like a, it's not like doing a whole bunch of stuff where it's like, Oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And it's like, well, what do you do? Like, what do you, mm-hmm. like, where's your passion? Where it's like, Oh, like when she acts in something, you can tell that it's, it's something that really lights her up. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mm-hmm. when, she, when she's in something music, when she's doing something musically, you can tell that it really lights her up. And I don't think that's, it's, I don't even, it's not that I think, I, I know that that's not true for a lot of artists and you can see, oh, it. Right. You, can, you can see them doing things that they don't care about and how mm-hmm. soul sucking that can be. And she's right, not, it doesn't really like resonate with them. It's like, okay, I'm just sure. doing this. Totally, but she she sure. definitely does not um, struck me as the per- as that kind of person. It's like, okay, if she does it, and what she said, I mean, like, if she does it, it's because it's important to her. And the the thing is, okay, like, I'm not gonna watch any Bella. I'm just not. Um, I'm I'm currently watching Homecoming with her in it. Um, but I I just started watching it, so I've only watched like maybe the first episode or two. But um, you know, I what I like though is that just like everybody else, or really what I mean by everybody else, just like white folks get this opportunity to do all the things, whether they're trash or great. Um, I think that, you know, black folks should be able to do the same thing. So, you know, if something resonates with her, even if some of us are like, oh, hell no, still, she has the freedom to do whatever, whatever the hell she wants to do. We don't have to agree with everything that she does. Um, I think overall she's consistent and she does do things that move her. Um, but, you know, I could be like, hey, I'm tired of seeing slave shit that doesn't mean she shouldn't do what she does. I mean, it's, she has to have that creative freedom. And I think that um, we, especially with the black community, like we are so, we're so concerned about like, we're understandably concerned about, you know, like what, what things are put out about us and like how are we portrayed and all this, but we can't put all of that on somebody's back. Like ultimately we should have the same range of freedom to create all the things from the trash to the treasure, um, just like white folks get to do, um, nope. without it being like some indictment on their entire race. For real, and like, and I so agree with that. Not only that, but like, no one, no one who needs convincing that we're not all the same based on a piece of media is going to be convinced by a piece of media that we're not that we're not not all the same. Like, right? That's like, it's like auditioning for your humanity with people who are never going to give you the part. Right. And so like, you know, let them be, like, that's why I'm so been, I used to be really down on, not really down on Insecure, but I used to be like, oh, you know, this feels very, you know, black Twittery. And, and I think you know what I mean when I say that, but like, Issa Rae has so, she has so found like her voice and she has so honed it so well and gotten mm-hmm. so good at what she's done and her acting is so brilliant. Like, she's a good, like, she's, she's a really good actress, I think. Right. I think she's a brilliant writer, but she needs to be. I was saying this on Twitter, I'm like, she needs to be like out there acting, like getting acting roles just as much too, because she's really captivating. Yeah, she she really and she, is. And she's like, really striking. I love seeing her on screen. Like, and I mean, and I've I've been I've been following her since like Awkward Black Girl Days, and I love Issa Rae. But um, and I, I mean I really enjoy kind of the, you know, low budget is no way I want to say it, but just kind of more like this is we just doing this on our own type of feel of Awkward Black Girl, but um on screen like just seeing her um you know in tv and film and stuff like she is amazing to watch like mm-hmm. she is like you said i think captivating is such a great word um watching her on the photograph 
I was just like, yep. I don't yep. want to, I don't want you to go off the screen. <laughs> like I just, I was so, I was like, I could just keep watching this. Um, and I didn't, even really... I didn't even love that. I didn't even love that movie, the photograph. Sorry to interrupt you, but like, I didn't, I didn't love that movie at all. But like, she, she's so, I, I like, she's so draws you in, in that movie. And like, right. she's, and she's lit so beautifully. And like, not oh, only that, but like, gosh, I'm watching someone, <laughs> I'm, I'm watching her in this movie. I'm like, oh, and like, she didn't do a whole bunch of shit to herself since the awkward black girl days. Like, she, this mm-hmm. is the same, it's the same person, you know, it's the same person right. who's watching on that YouTube channel who's like lit up on the screen. Right. And captivating she's, all these she's people. She's herself. Like, mm-hmm. she is still herself. She hasn't like become some different person. And even like, um, watching her in um, Lovebirds, like, I don't love Lovebirds, but I just, I really enjoy seeing her on screen. Like, she's funny, she's beautiful, um, and I want to see her in more, like, leading lady roles, because I really like, even if I don't, like, love the actual movie itself, I love seeing her. (laughs) Like, I'm like, I I will watch whatever you're in. It could be trash. Honestly, I don't care. I'm going to watch it because you're in it. (laughs) And and what I was saying about Insecure, which kind of harkened back to what you were saying about how we can be we don't have to all be concerned and buttoned up all the time about how, like what we're doing, what it says about the whole race, because, Mm -hmm. you know, like I love that she allows, like, I think that black women are usually the ones in movies, like, you know, even if they're stereotypes or caricatures, like even someone like Shanene on Martin, Mm -hmm. and I said this on Twitter, like Shanene is the one who has her shit together out of all of them. Like she has, she has her own business. She's the one who loaned the money to get, to bail Martin out of jail when Martin got arrested. Because she Shanae had money. was like, the one who was consistent. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, who consistently was showing up, coming through, even though, you know, they could talk all the shit they wanted to, and she could definitely talk her shit, but she was consistent. Yeah, and I like that Issa Rae is, is willing to write, is a Black woman who's willing to write Black women who, like, fuck up sometimes, mm-hmm. and who, who, like, fuck up in epic ways, yeah. and who don't actually have good, who don't actually have all the answers, and who don't mm-hmm. just... Who don't like, just have to be the strong Black woman. Yeah, and like they're, you know, like Isa and Molly, they don't just make mistakes. Like they make mistakes, and they oh, like, yeah. they go in, they go into the mistake. Like they mm-hmm. lean into the mistake. Oh, they and, they doubled and triple down. <laughs> which is like what everyone does sometimes, right. especially when you're a young person, especially in a city like LA, where like mm-hmm. someone says something. You know, someone so, someone said something to me the other day, and it just made me laugh because they're like, Atlanta and LA are similar because they're both like a stunt. They're both stunt cities, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, they are. Yeah. And Absolutely. people and people do stupid things when they're trying to stunt. That's what you do. Like it just—it really is. Like you just out here stunting and being foolish, because um, it's like you. There's something you're trying to live up to. There's like a, a an image of the city or whatever, um, and the way that you're supposed to fit in it or operate in it or navigate it, and you're trying to live up to that. And, like and it, I definitely makes me, think so. It may, like it makes me feel seen to watch Insecure, for instance, the season where she was kind of, you know kind of out of work and like doing uber and shit like that and she couldn't mm-hmm. afford to get a car fixed like, oh that's like, la yeah but like, see, <laughs> like you know s- seeing her pump that seeing her make sure she only pumps ten dollars into her t- into her gas mm-hmm. tank or, or making like, sure she move her car <laughs> before they come do the street yeah. sweeping or the fact that's that she drew or, or, or the fact that she was driving like a crappy car like i mm-hmm. drive a crappy like i drive a crappy car and it's like you know like a lot of people drive crappy cars and you never right. see that on tv even with the poorest people mm-hmm. so, so i just appreciate that i think that her I think that her vision of LA is very, it is fantasy, but it's a very interesting fantasy that I like being in. Mm. We yeah, were talking no, about, like, think, yeah. And I, I, and I like that that's, um, I think it's so interesting to, to just see because yeah, she, she does ultimately it's just like, Hey, I'm showing black folks and black women um, in a human way. You know, it's like the mistakes that, that white folks are allowed to make. Um, you know, we're making those same mistakes and, um, and that's fine, but also, 
also like representing an experience that's like specific but also broad so i mean i I like this idea of okay because okay for some people they just want to they're fine with kind of like having essentially white media but just with black folks in the roles um as opposed to hey i'm creating this and this has some things that are very specific to like a black experience and i'm not concerned about it translating you know and i think that's that's its own thing um as opposed to like hey let's do a black friends you know okay there's some stuff that's just not it ain't gonna translate for white folks and that's okay yeah everything you got to translate for them (laughs) and i i don't want to pick on anyone again but like i feel like what you're describing is the difference between what Issa Rae does very well and what i think someone like lena waith is struggling with Mm. because like lena waith comes from lena waith get me started i got i got issues no, it's, it's, I, um, comes from, she's like, no, she's very, she's very, she comes from a privileged sort of, she comes from privileged, you know, roots, right? In terms of mm. like, and I think that she is trying to write to this broad black experience in a way that feels like she's auditioning or it feels, well, yeah, or, I remember you or, tweeted about that and I was like, that is real. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like, well, why, like, I'm like, what was your black experience like? Cause it wasn't Queen and Slim. Whew. Oh, I have, I have very real yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, emotional mm-hmm. issues with Queen and Slim, just because, okay, like I went to a screening of it and she was there, it was like her, Dame Kalua, um, what's the damn chick who's like basically her work wife? Um, Cynthia Arrivo? No, um, it's, you know, oh, her name starts with did, M. Did I just spill that to you? I don't know, I don't think people know. Well, no, know. not, oh, I don't no, think people I, know yeah, about I, that. No, people know. <laughs> um, but no, her, um. Oh, Melina, that's her name. Melina, I think Melina. I know who you're talking about, yeah. So Melina, I think, uh, is the director. I think it's like Melina Masukas or something like that. She has like a Greek, I know her last name is like some Greek. I know I know who you're talking um, about. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that she was there um, at the screening because we, one of our friends um, is like a, one of the, she's like a, what does she do? Production, shorts and production. So she got us into this like screening before Queen of Slim came out and to have like a talk with them and stuff like that. So watch Queen of Slim. First of all, I was so upset at the ending. Like it just, um, like we were legitimately upset. <laughs> um, I was like, why the fuck? I was like, you went through all this in this shit like this. I was pissed. I'm like, why the, this is fucking trauma porn. And then having her talking about it and stuff like that did not make me feel better because <laughs> it ultimately spoke to exactly what you said about, okay, you're trying to, um, do this whole like audition thing or whatever that's exactly i feel like what she said in the talk afterwards it just made me more upset like it yeah so i feel like um she was trying like i don't i don't even remember now um exactly what she said about like the ending and all that kind of stuff but i just remember being so unsatisfied and so um so honestly disappointed with her that that was how it ended because yeah i understand like you know we go through all kind of stuff but um if it was going to end like that fine but like did we have to see did it have to be that graphic like do we have to see black bodies treated the way we see every damn day in the news um right. so it and just it, really upset me i'm like could they not have had a happy ending like it doesn't have that may not be realistic but don't we deserve some type of like fantasy or some happy endings too or if they're not gonna have a happy ending do does it have to be a tragic ending that is so graphic <laughs> you know it felt graphic um, and voyeuristic and it felt like it, it was, did it felt like it was for white audiences absolutely honestly. it felt like it was for the white gays and for her to be like oh you know i'm not concerned about the white gays i'm like that's just a lie because who is this for and that's like legit was my 
thing i'm just like okay so if this is not for the white gays who is it for because it ain't for us because we don't need to see additional trauma porn so who is it actually for and like the the first film that she produced where like and i was talking about that where i'm like it always feels like she like she kind of harkens to and this kind of speaks to what i was talking like this because this is going to bring us back to relationships but like dear white people well like you know she came on the scene as a producer of dear white people the movie no not the netflix series the movie that's based on and my whole thing with dear white people is i mean it's in the title where it's like it kind of speaks to that whole what you're talking about where like you're kind of centering white people even if they're not centered technically as characters where like you are this is all like oh you know white people think we you're do still this censoring their gaze yes yeah, so <laughs> you know it's like you're trying to get some kind of reaction out of them it's like well mm-hmm. can't we just like you know that's what i love what, about like what ava duvernay does with queen sugar where like queen sugar is so black it's so it is it's so black it's beautiful it's, it's beautiful <laughs> it's beautifully photographed but it's so specifically black and it's not concerned about like it's not talking to white people in the sense that like white people can watch obviously they can watch whatever mm-hmm. they want but like she's not this is a black show and it's, it's not for, directed to their gaze it's in not, the way that yeah. it definitely, I mean, with, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I really realized it before Queen of Slim, um, in terms of with Lena Waithe, but definitely if I didn't know then, Queen of Slim definitely um, opened my eyes to like, I'm like, oh yeah, this is, this is for the whites. Like, and even though she specifically said it was not, um, it absolutely was. And so that is a difference for me um, between something like that and like insecure or something like that it's like you can watch it but is this like tailored to your gaze no and the, and the thing is like what, what we're saying about possibility models like lena waif is still someone who is valuable to me and who I'm, I'm glad that she exists because like right she like like seeing what she's going through now where like you know she is being really heavily critiqued by, by people in the black community including mm-hmm. myself but like seeing sort of her missteps like she's like shining she's you know shining a mirror on me as a writer and like some shit that i do sometimes and like you know maybe i and like she's making me examine some stuff that i don't have to examine you know when i take Mm. it out to the public and i think it's hard like she's going through lena waith is going through something that a writer from her different you know from her different sort of um intersections like her Mm -hmm. different identities she's going through a lot of firsts in terms of a very Mm -hmm. public person and that's difficult and I never mm-hmm. want to, and I never want to rob her of the, um, of the reality of that. So like, right. I, you know, I make, you know, like I'm hard on her, but I want to, tr- mm-hmm. but I make sure I'm not harsh with her. You know what I'm saying? Right. No, I definitely agree. I like, even when, with that, you know, whole situation and me, like having a very <laughs> visceral emotional reaction um, to it at the end of the day, I still would, it's not like I, you know, don't want her to create and don't want her voice out and stuff like that. And also, you know, wanting people to understand we're just, um we're like not a monolith so her voice and like i was telling like the folks who i went with i'm like you know her voice still deserves to be heard her voice doesn't have to represent my voice i don't have to agree with her like her voice doesn't have to be um you know like the this stand-in for like the black so whatever or the black queer folks like she is her own person and there are there are going to be people who her voice does resonate with and who feel represented by her voice and i don't have to be one of those people. Um, and, and, it, and it can also be nuanced. So it's like, there's some, you know, her mere existence to me um, is beautiful and awesome. Like, and I, it's something I have a lot of appreciation for while also recognizing that like, hey, I may have thought this person spoke for me to an extent and I realized that they don't and that's okay. And that's really like where I'm at with her. I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't have the expectation of you to speak for me. And that's completely okay. Yeah, and it doesn't, you know, there can be 
there can be so many different people doing so many different things. And it's so, and then like that just makes it like, it's the whole idea of believing in abundance versus scarcity, which is, it's so hard to believe in abundance as people of color mm-hmm. and as, mar- as marginalized people, because like mm-hmm. we're, you know, we're socialized on scarcity. Like right. that's, how, that's how they keep that's us. That's been alive. a default for so long. And that's how they keep us at each other's throat, you know? Mm-hmm. And, Cause we're all fighting for some scraps. Mm-hmm. And you know, like even someone like Tyler Perry, where like I've totally flipped on him, where like I used like I'm very like I understand why he did what he did and why he did it the way he did it, and like there's something admirable about the way where like you know so many of us are constantly like asking for a seat at the white at white people's table, and we're like, oh white people, please you know choose me, pick me, give me a chance. And Tyler Perry said, fuck that, and he built his own table, he built mm-hmm. his own studio, and he did it, he did it his way, and right. you know, is it the way I would do it? No, I don't. I think that he should hire a writer's room. I really think Ooh. he should. But, but at the same time, like, but at the same time, who am right. I to tell him to? Well, I mean, I think he should because that's yeah, that's, he, and, he but, really should. But but like he like he, you know, the essence of what he did was he he made a space for himself very forcefully in an industry mm-hmm. where like he wouldn't have fit in, and right. he's someone who has a queer like you know he has a queerness. Well, I don't even. I'm not talking about his personal life, but I mean. No, I know what you mean. Like, there's a queer energy to his work, and so, and you know, he has a queer. He has a fully functioning queer youth youth shelter, mm-hmm. on that you know production lot, um, that he built. So, like, pro- shout out to him too. And we all sort of. I don't want to say we all, but like, I definitely was someone who was down on him, and I thought that he was doing what you were saying. We're like, oh, he's making us look so bad in front of the white people. Not in that way, but like, mm-hmm. sort of like he's making us he's making it hard for like serious people who want to make like serious movies. I'm like, no, he's not like, right. I mean, cause his, all those folks can exist. Way. You know, it's like, it doesn't because, but like you said, when we're so used to scarce scarcity, then we do end up feeling like, Oh, well this person's making it more difficult. I mean, I have my, my, you know, issues with him and his work or whatever. But again, he's one of those people where I'm like, you know, his, there are a lot of people who enjoy his work and, you know, they're not less deserving um, than I am you know I don't have to agree with it for it to exist and for it to be meaningful to someone I can definitely disagree I can be like hey y'all got a whole lot of uh ho- hotel foolishness and pick me stuff and problematic whatever but we're all problematic in some way anyway um and exactly. still everyone you know deserves to be able to um have that have some type of voice and hear that and see the things they want to see reflected so but in regards to relationships um I think that you know you brought up a good point about basically having to pull from it's like hey we're not like explicitly depicted in these things but I'm pulling from this so as you you know started getting older and um I guess like maybe sought out or started to form relationships um did did you like crave any representation did that matter at all um how did like what did you pull from like what did you use as your did you still use the same things as your basically like points of reference I did, and I wish I hadn't, just in the sense that, like, I think it led to me, and I'm not saying that this is the case for everyone, that they shouldn't, you know, pull from media images, because I think media images often helps people understand and understand how to be in the world, and that's fine. But I think it led to a lot of me performing in relationships in ways that I look back on now, and I don't exactly cringe, because the only reason why I wouldn't do it now is because I did it then, and I know now not to do it, because I did it then. But it's a lot of like me being what I thought someone's boyfriend meant instead of me kind of finding out what that meant within the relationship. And mm. like, I felt like I was performing a lot in my last relationship, which ended, um, which ended last year. 
and it was a long it was like a long-ish relationship and I didn't talk about it a lot and that was you know there's nothing there was nothing wrong with the guy in the sense that like he didn't treat me badly we were very respectful of each other our ending was um final and we're never mm-hmm. going to speak to each other again but it was civil and there was no mm-hmm. drama but you know I was very much not myself and he mm-hmm. was very much you know oh I love you you're perfect and everything you do is great and that's not that was never mm-hmm. going to stand the test of time like I was yeah I was performing and he was just being the audience for it not even like wow. being the audience but like and I think that I, I think what I've learned now is that I love a lot of things and I love a lot of people mm-hmm. and I'm not performing in most of those contexts. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to perform in that way. And like, I have, I have dated since him, but I haven't had a relationship since, since him, but even just the dating that I've done, you know, casually, it has felt um, more honest. It has felt kinder. Mm. It's felt uh, a little bit more. So it's like, I had all those media images and even, even looking at stuff like um, even stuff that represents me, like, um, even thinking about stuff I have now where I can point to examples of queer back relationships. Like I don't, I sort of view that as entertainment and I allow my, I sort of allow the relationships to be what they are between the two people. Like, I don't think that I need to necessarily look to pose or moonlight, definitely not, or something, even something where like dear white people, which would feature, you know, queer black people who are not necessarily downtrodden in that Mm -hmm. way that they are in um, the text I mentioned previously. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't need to look to anything because relationships are experiential. And I think that black people are not, I think black people and queer people, any marginalized people are, we're taught too often not to listen to our own, to our own instincts and our own bodies in terms of like what it, in terms of how it's telling us that something doesn't feel good and we should stop it. Like, I think we're taught to soldier through things or push through things and once I stopped doing that, it felt a little bit, it felt like I was doing it a little bit better. And it felt like it was, I was doing it, like I said, a little bit kinder, even with people who I wasn't going to see again, or who I wasn't interested in dating. Like it felt more kind. I just felt, that just feels like the only way to say it. And so media images taught me that like, I can have this thing that I enjoy and it's necessary and it's necessary for people to see themselves. And I don't have to extrapolate that into how I live my life. I can still listen to myself and I think that if people have, I think that the more media images people have of themselves, the more they'll be able to feel like they don't have to take cues from things, you know? Like white people don't see a relationship with white people on TV and automatically think to, not, think to themselves, oh, I'm going to take a cue from that because right. shit, they're all over the place and they're all over, they're all over pop culture. So I want, I guess what I wish for is more representation so that kids know to listen to themselves. Mm-hmm. No, I think that makes sense because I think that, like you were mentioning, okay, well, white people can see these relationships and not feel like they have to like apply it. Um, it goes back to that whole thing of possibility models. The more there are, it just really shows you that like, hey, I can create my own as opposed to thinking that, well, this might be the only way because this is the only one I see or these are the only two I see or three. When there's just like what appears to be a limitless amount, that means that you can also add to it. That means that it is limitless, you know, so you don't feel like, oh, I have like this only like a little bit of material to work with. It's like, okay, if all these different things can exist, then whatever I create can also exist. Yeah, and like part of the magic and the beauty of being in a romantic relationship with someone who you care about is is figuring out like sort of the architecture of that relationship together. Mm-hmm. And like, what does, and what, what do, what does our love look like? What does our being together look like? Right. You know, and I don't think that people should rob themselves of that. Like 
people should not rob themselves of the opportunity to learn about that, to get it wrong, because you're going to get it wrong in some relationships. And also to learn, you know, I think that's how you also learn what you value and also what you want in terms of like what you want your romantic life to look like and how you love. I think a lot of people need to learn how they love. They just sort of go headlong to relationships and it's like, well, what do you, what does you loving someone really look like? And I don't, I, mm. that's kind of, that's kind of what I've been asking myself a lot in quarantine. Like mm-hmm. what does, what does my love, I don't even, I don't even mean like what it looks like to other people, but like if Not I were to describe, you. like for my, for me, for myself, if I were to describe my love to myself, like what does it look like? What does me mm. loving someone feel like? And, you know, a, a TV character can't tell you that a movie, a movie character can't tell you that, but, Right. You know, seeing a lot of them go through it is still valuable. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that question in and of itself is very powerful. And um, I think even what you expressed about, you know, like, hey, I don't need to do it exactly how these characters do it. But, you know, at least having this um, example of someone even going through the process and them figuring it out. Um, and when you have more and more and more, you know, of those images where you're like able to see that process, um, it can definitely be helpful. I love that question um, that you asked. And I think that is very important. And I think, you know, folks should really, it's something for us all to think about. It's something I have definitely thought about. And as I get older and as I navigate through marriage, um, it's something I continue to ask myself. Um, But I I noticed um, since this quarantine thing, like I've been asking it in regards to my marriage, but like I ask it in regards to all my relationships, um, any loving relationship, my friendships and everything. Um, I've really been interrogating myself to like, to figure out like, how do I show up in these relationships? What does that mean? Um, what does it mean for me to show care to this person and to um, just like, what what exactly does our relationship look like? How do I know that um, this person feels cared for? How do they know that I'm cared for? Like, you know, just looking at all those different elements of all my relationships um so i think it's a really important question to ask um and just a really important point that you made so and it might the answer changes sometimes Mm. no i mean i definitely for me the answer has absolutely changed it's not the same as it was in my 20s like it's just not i it's not even the same like how it is now like even if i just look specifically at my marriage what that looks like now is not the same as it looked when we first got together I was about to ask you that. I was about to ask you that. Like, yeah, it just, it has, um, it's evolved as we've evolved. I mean, we're not the same. When we got together, I was like 24, I think. So I'm 32 now. <laughs> I was like maybe 23 or 24. We were both like in our early 20s. Like just how we navigated things then and how we do now um, after getting close to a decade together and now having like, you know, a home together and all this other kind of stuff. Like, I don't think it could stay the same. I don't know if we would have been able to sustain the relationship if it had stayed the same. Um, right. we ha- we're not the same. Like we both have um, changed and grown. And so how we engage with each other and how we love each other and how we show each other that love has absolutely had to like evolve with that. And um, I think that it, adds more depth um and not saying not to minimize like how I felt in the past or anything I like okay when I told her I love her I meant it um but it's just different now because I'm like we know each other better we know ourselves better and so I think the better the more that we get to know ourselves the more authentically we can show up in the relationship um we don't have to do the performance 
um, I definitely think earlier on, um, there was some of that on her end in terms of the performance. Um, I didn't require that, but um, there was just like, you know, you have this idea of someone and how things are gonna be, and then you learn the reality. And I think that's really what happened. Um, I had already been through a major, um, I guess like been through a relationship where I had like a, a rude awakening and had to kind of like have that, that fantasy world come crashing down. And so I approached the beginning of our relationship from a place of um, realism, like straight up realism. I was not in a fantasy world, um, but my wife was, honestly. I mean, she um, kind of put me on a pedestal and I was like, don't put me up there because I'm gonna come tumbling down. <laughs> is, she, is, she, is she older or younger than you? She is like a year younger. Okay. So we don't have like a significant age gap, but we just, our life experiences are just very different. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, told her, you know, don't, don't put me up there cause I'm gonna come tumbling down. And then how are you gonna actually feel about me when I, because I'm like, I'm not gonna be able to live up to that. Like I'm letting you know in advance, <laughs> um, I ain't gonna be able to live up to that. Cause I got, you know, I got issues just like everybody else. Um, so we like dated um, and then split up. And then when we got back together, I think that she was able to approach it from a more realistic place um, in a place of like, instead of kind of me just being on this pedestal, um, her just looking at me as like a peer um, and us navigating side by side instead of me being up there and her just being like, oh, you know, you're so great. Sort, um, of, a, sort of a meeting in the middle where no one has to, mm -hmm. be, on where no one has to right. be on the pedestal. Right. And that made a big difference. But I think it took going through the breakup because you know her having to go through the experience of basically me hurting her feelings um because i broke up with her and i mean my reasoning um was valid but um i think it just kind of she had her moment where it's kind of like okay this came tumbling down so when we got back um together i think she just approached her from a much more realistic place and since we've navigated um as we've navigated like through the years we've both you know, just had to go through our own stuff, go through um, self with family, go through job changes, go through mental health stuff, health stuff in general. And that has all factored into what it looks like for us to love one another. And so I think as, as we've gotten older, we understand it more and more. Um, I think I have a better understanding of what it looks like to love her now than I did early on because I know her better and because she knows herself better. Yeah, and um, also, and, vice versa. I, and also, I'm sure, like what you were just describing, it sounds like you know more, you know more definitively, and in a way that you can communicate clearly what you need, and also what you can give someone. Right. And, and I think that what I learned um, in my last relationship is, cause, you know, I'm a Leo, and I joke about this on Twitter, where like I just like I just want to be worshipped. Fire uh, sign energy. <laughs> but, like, we out I, here. <laughs> but I really did just. I really yeah exactly. But I really just. I really did learn in my last relationship that I don't want that. Like I don't want someone who. I don't want someone who feels like they're lucky to be with me. I don't want someone who's constantly telling me that they're lucky to be with me. I want someone who like. I want someone who, is happy to be with me and also realizes that I should be happy to be with them. Mm. Like I want. Like I want it to be a two. I want it to be more. Um, I want them to be able to assert more of um, to assert more of their needs because I think mm. that I am someone who really I've learned that I respond very well to being told by someone like it's not even that I respond well, but like if someone tells me, "Oh, this is something that I need from you," mm -hmm. like I don't just perform it. Like I think about why they're asking me that. Where I'm like, mm -hmm. "Well, like why do you need that?" I'm like, "I will do that," but like 
let's talk about like why you need that for me. And then right. it like becomes really interesting and I learn more about them. Yes. And I was no, really, I definitely agree with that. <laughs> someone who's, wor- someone who's worshiping you is never going to give, it's not just about like what I want him to have for himself. Like it's mm-hmm. selfish too, you know, every, everything is selfish and self everything is kind of selfish and selfless in the relationship where it's like mm-hmm. yeah well, it's like, like it is self-serving but also mm-hmm. like for the betterment of the relationship too uh, happy wife happy life and like mm-hmm. that goes like both happy wives i mean happy lives like, <laughs> you can't be happy like i um you know it's, we were talking about possibility models i read mindy kaling's book mm-hmm. and she was talking about marriage and she's not married um i don't think she's married now but she was talking about um she said um there's no she said it's very rare in her experience just from the outset that one person is happy in a marriage and one person is miserable it's usually that like both people are happy or both people are miserable and one person just hasn't admitted that they're miserable yet Mm. and i think that's true where like yeah you know you if you're with someone who is miserable to be with you you're eventually going to be miserable right that doesn't necessarily have to have anything to do with you. But I also think that another thing I've learned about relationships is that you can walk away from them and you can walk away from them with kindness, but Mm -hmm. you can walk away from them for yourself. And if it's a, if it's a matter of feeling like you're losing yourself or losing this relationship, then you have to choose yourself. Absolutely. Like you, I mean, I had that particular lesson I learned in my relationship before this one and so when i came like when i started this i mean it's i i laugh at myself because i was like listen i was i I don't want to say rough but very like the place i was in like when we met um i wasn't like in a rush to getting to anything but i was just very adamant about myself because i did feel like i had lost myself um in my previous relationship and i had come to this realization that i had lost things i would never get back some stuff, you know, but there were some things that I'm just like, I'll never be the same. I'll never get back. And I really had to like grieve that lost, uh, that loss. Um, but so like early on, I was just like, listen, I need you to understand. If it comes down to me having to choose between me, me and you or like me and us, I'm choosing me unapologetically. Like it's just is what it is. And I was like, so serious about it and said it straight up like that like listen if i gotta choose between me and us i choose me (laughs) (laughs) and it was i mean and honestly in the moment it was in the midst of we weren't like we we never really had like huge arguments or anything but it was definitely in the midst of a disagreement and um so i don't know i don't even know what was going on but i just was feeling some kind of way and i was like listen let me just go ahead and make this clear just in case it wasn't clear before let me make this clear today um so but but what i appreciate about that is that um now you know all these years later i mean we still keep that same energy but um we it's it's not a performance we choose to be here so um like you were talking about okay well i want this person to like let me know um it's it's really you know both of you saying like this is how i want and need to be loved um and you know understanding that about each other but we make a deliberate choice to continue this like exactly del- right like we make a deliberate choice to remain um and so when i i mean my listeners know i deal with um depression and well which as i'm learning more about it um really is just a byproduct of ptsd but what i'm used to dealing with is the depression and um so i went through like a really rough major depression and um you know my wife was very we weren't married yet but um you know came through showed up for me stood by me through it so 
we embarked on quarantine and um in the very beginning i just like i start i initially was feeling kind of depressed and so i started to what i think i was actually just talking to, to my therapist about this today but i think that um the beginning of quarantine like just some of the habit like i started to kind of slip into um, a depression i think my wife saw that and it was a trigger for her um because of how rough it was when i was like dealing with the worst major depression i've ever dealt with in my life and so um i started to notice like some things changed between us and i felt like she was kind of distant so um i was like you know what's you know we had to have a conversation about it and um you know be really honest with each other and just put some stuff out there but like i told her in that moment i'm like you know that has not the same energy i had in the beginning has not changed and that goes both ways i don't mean that to say that like oh well i'm gonna choose me no this is a choice for us to be here and if you feel like at any point this is no longer the right choice for you then i just need you to let me know that um and because if it's a situation where okay like hey you can love me with all your heart but if you feel like hey this um this thing that you are dealing with, um, I, I'm not able to, like, I don't have the capacity for it, or I feel like I won't be able to be happy because of whatever, then um, I don't want you to be a martyr for love. Like, absolutely exactly. the fuck not. I will leave, like, because I, I don't, in reality, I don't, it's very hard for me to imagine her leaving, but I'm like, I will leave. If I feel like, oh, well, my mental health is in a place that it is eating at your capacity and you feel like you can't see, like, um, happiness being a possibility or whatever. Absolutely the fuck not. I love you. I don't want that for you. <laughs> like this, that would be incredibly selfish. And I don't want that for myself either. If you're miserable, I can tell just like when you distance yourself, I could tell. So I'd rather, you know, address it than pretend like it's not happening. And if it's, you know, to the point where you're like, okay, this is really too much. Um, even though we, you know, our it's not, it's, it's not, it's not kind to myself to remain in this right. the way it is in either way. And it's not an obligation. Like we are choosing when we, you know, got married, we did our vows. Our vows are that we will continue to choose. If at any point we choose not, then that's what it is. Like, it's not an obligation. You're not required to stay with me, but we can choose to stay together. Um, and so, and don't, I think and just, don't, sorry, uh, but like, and what, and what you're saying about that was like, I think that speaks to the whole thing that I was feeling lately was like, not even about myself, but just like observationally. And like, that really speaks like what you're saying just now really speaks to it. Where it's like, don't make your partner feel like you're the best thing that ever happened to them. Mm -hmm. Because first of all, they're, they're not a thing that happened to you. They're a person. Right. And secondly, <laughs> like, that's not, that's not, that's not a kindness. It sounds like a kindness, but it's not a kindness. That's a lot of pressure. No mm -hmm. one can look, no one can live up to that. And not that's that, that but pedestal it, thing. It's not, and it's, <laughs> and it's not, and it's not true anyways. And right. like, you know, you, you need to find, you need to be able to like, you can love someone to the ends of the earth and you need to also be able to walk away from them. Mm -hmm. And like, that's, that's what I would love. And I would, I would love that about a person. I would love if a person had that sort of sort um, I don't even want to say like self-assured. I don't even want to say confidence because I think that it's not, it's not necessarily confidence. It's like, um, it's a uh, assuredness about your own, about your, your own, own your own words, safety, mm. your own, your own yeah. safety and your own, like, I want someone who is willing to take care of themselves, who's willing to put their own mask right. on first, you know, who is not. Oh no, absolutely. And who's, who is willing to choose themselves over me. You don't have to choose, like, I don't want you to choose me over yourself ever. 
honestly, I don't care how much you love me or anything. Like, I don't want you to ever. And I, and I told her that I'm like, I don't want you to ever choose me over yourself. Like, I don't, I don't desire that at all. <laughs> like that's not. I want um, someone. I want some. I want. Some, I want someone with their own values, and like hopefully, <laughs> hopefully our values overlap. But like right. someone, someone who, it's just it's hard for me to imagine someone who is so like 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 you said, you know, they're not willing to leave for this for themselves for their own sanity for their own right. self care. Like it's hard to it's hard for me to reconcile someone who's like that who also has their own values. Where it's like, well, right. what are your values? Like you, it sounds like you just value being in companionship with this person, which is something to value, but like, what do you value? Because at the end of the day, like you're always alone. You fall, like when you go into your own mind when you fall asleep at night, mm-hmm. it's just you in there, you know? Like, what do you, like, what do you value in there? And I want, I want someone who is at least approaching or working towards wholeness. Mm-hmm. That and absolutely, it sounds like you're nurturing that and like fostering that. So like your marriage is, I know, I, but also I don't want to say like marriage goals because I know that people don't like that either. But like it's um it's an inch, it's a very um heartwarming and I'm glad that you as someone who I care about is having a marriage like that. I think it's it's something too that we we recognize is like of course continually a work in progress and also um for me that's what I mean with that it being a choice like you know I do like you said with your values like I want for you to value yourself. Um, more than me honestly I want you to value yourself so much that um you're not willing to put anything else before that and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that I think too we are definitely taught to be like very self-sacrificing all that kind of stuff but I don't desire that in a relationship and so when I look at like okay you know what when you look at the grand scheme of your life or whatever um you I'm not the end-all be-all period and I'm not the end-all be-all to your happiness um even though we can love each other and we may want to be together, ultimately, if it's not a good fit or if it's not a good choice for you anymore, um, then you absolutely have the right to make a different choice. And so um, I do, I appreciate the fact that like, that's what we um, subscribe to, that it's like, hey, um, like in my, in my uh, vows, uh, well, in both, for both of us, we just, you know, talked about like, okay, you know, continuing to choose each other or, you know, choosing each other daily. So it is something that is a day by day process and something that we, you know, talk about and all that, but. um, It sounds sustainable. It sounds. Right. That's what I think. That's what makes it. I think that's why it's been sustainable to this point and what makes it even as we grow and change, because we are um, definitely different (laughs) than we used to be. Um, But I think even as we go through those changes and that evolution, that's what makes it possible to continue to sustain it. I'm choosing you as you are right now today. I don't know what that's going to look like in six months, but I'm choosing today and just doing that every day. And I wish that, you know, going beyond queerness and blackness and marginalized representations, I wish that in representations of love and romance period in media, we saw more examples of what you're describing, which is like, what does it look like to love someone and not need them? Because, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, why are we taught that love and need need to go together? Right. Because to me, that's such a, um, and that's exactly the, that's actually what I was going to bring up and I forgot. It's, but it's not sustainable. It makes, it's not sustainable. And to me, um, it's very meaningful to me that 
you would choose to be with me and you don't need to like not like oh my, oh my god i need you to survive like that's not that's not endearing to me that's it's scary to me honestly um i want you to know that like you can be a full person a whole person um a happy person without me but that you're choosing to share yourself with me you're choosing to include me in that and i'm choosing to include you and we're choosing to cultivate what that looks like for us together but exactly not like, exactly oh, you need me like that I, that doesn't um that doesn't equal like love or that doesn't make it more real to me. It makes it more real to me actually that you don't need me, but yet you still choose to be here. And that's what is kind of like, for me, like the crux of that choice. Like you could very well continue like, yeah, you, you know, we'll go through sadness and all that, but like ultimately you can very well continue your life without me being in it. Like your life will go on. Exactly. Which means like, and it goes back to the performance thing you're saying where it's like that whole idea of like, we're taught that, you know, we're taught to we're taught to um, we're taught that love and need go together and that that's healthy, mm-hmm. but it's not healthy. But not only that, but it's it's not true. It's a performance where it's like it can't it cannot be possible that you need me because mm-hmm. you because you lived an entire life before you met. Right, like you 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 definitely had a life and an existence before me, and and one of us is go- and, and one of us is going to die eventually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, somebody's gonna go first. I mean, well as far as we know so uh, yeah exactly right we yeah, don't know. i mean it's like you just so there has to be more and there's just more to life um there's more to life than me there's more to life than us there's more to life than this relationship um and so like my like we were talking earlier today and my wife was like why was it today i don't know but it was recently and she was like um she was like why are you so supportive or something like that and i was like what are you talking about and she was like well um you know i'm really like learning a lot of stuff about myself and just like doing a lot of work on myself and you're you've been supportive through the process and I'm like well you know you've been supportive of me and like why wouldn't you be deserving of that support like that's you you deserve to have your individual growth supported too whether it has anything to do with me or not like I'm not going to only support things that have to do with me <laughs> you know because I I care about you as a person and I want for you to um, be the best version of yourself because ultimately you like you are going to be what's what remains whether i'm in your life or not and there's not there's none of what you um once people stop sort of learning and growing and start and sort of once they stop being you know like them uh, your your partner's name is courtney right mm-hmm. yeah like once she start when she starts being courtney and she starts being courtney and javia it's like you can't just be courtney and javia like you have to be courtney at sometimes mm-hmm. And I think, but that's something that she has had to learn. I think that like, Earl, I think um, just as we've navigated through our relationship, um, she initially was in that place where it's like Courtney and Javia. Um, and then once I, especially once I relocated here and that kind of being the, the last straw to trigger a very um, deep major depression, then, you know, her, for her, everything revolved around me. And I didn't want that. And, and to a certain extent, I didn't even, I didn't know that until later on, until we talked about it. But that's really what her thought process was and how she was operating. And so once we had a conversation about it, I'm like, no, no, absolutely not. Like, I don't, I don't want, you know, you to do that. And so now, as we have been, you know, going through quarantine, we had our, had like a really um, necessary conversation and she has been pouring a lot of her energy back into herself. Um, you know, I'm like, that's, that's what you need to do. Like, it's important. It, it can't just be, you know, me and you, like you have your own identity outside yourself. And part of that is just some other stuff. I mean, she's very, um, a big part of what she enjoys is like being a provider and being like, I mean, it's, 
so it's other things that factor into it, but ultimately I'm just like, you know, you have to pour some of that back into yourself. And I saw the change, regardless. Yeah. And and I saw the change in my mom when she stopped, you know, when she stopped going behind my dad and trying to make sure that he was always happy and he was always Mm. comfortable when she started, you know, making friends for herself and like having Mm -hmm. a social life for herself so much so that like, you know, of course it was hard when my father came to her and said that he wanted a divorce but it was easier than it would have been, I think, had she continued to be running behind him. Mm-hmm. And because if her with, role revolved around him, then what was she? Exactly. It's like, what do I have left if you leave? Her world did not revolve around him. Her world did not revolve around him by any stretch of the imagination. And I love both of them. I'm in contact with both of them regularly. Again, I love both my parents, but um, she, her life did not revolve around him. And um when that marriage ended and right. that was that was good you know that yeah. was good and they and they can be in the same room and be civil now and be and that's completely like it's it's not it's not um it's not contentious they walked my sister mm-hmm. down the, they walked my sister down the aisle together when she got married it's very um it's remarkably severed between them in a way that mm. i in a, in a way that i really like mm. and no you know, i appreciate i appreciate that, that i think too for her having like she was able to choose herself even before the marriage ended. You know what I mean? So it's like, instead of it being like, okay, well, I'm, I'm constantly choosing this other person so that when it did end, you're left with something. Cause if you always choose that person, then what are you left with? And exactly. And that's why like, she didn't have such a, um, I mean, I don't want to speak to what she went through interpersonally just because um, she's, she's her own person. And like, I'm, mm-hmm. her son, I'm, I'm also her child. I recognize that I have that like, viewing her through that lens is all, it's definitely a bias, but like mm-hmm. she definitely did not have, um, she definitely started living for herself in ways that were very, you know, admirable. And, mm-hmm. you know, and she also got sick right after, like she got, she got breast cancer right after and mm-hmm. that, you know, she, she beat that and she dealt with that. She dealt with that very like systematically and mm-hmm. like, you know, she, she started traveling more and like she started doing things that she enjoys more. Yes. Live and, your life. <laughs> like she seems like a little bit more I don't want to say happy because I don't want to say she was unhappy before but she mm. seems a little she seems a little bit more like maybe like content or just like at, settled in herself at, e- at ease oh at okay, ease. okay. Like, like truly at ease mm. and truly like her house is hers that's a beautiful and, thing though you know to be to be able to be in that place and that's what I like for my wife I'm like you know I want for you to to get to that place because I I mean with all my issues or whatever um that's definitely like I've been in that place for a long time where at the end of the day, like I definitely want to, you know, continue to have a future with my wife, but I'm also um, very comfortable with myself. And um, I know that like, I can, you know, live my life and all the kind of stuff. Like it will be, you know, I have to go through what I have to go through in terms of emotions, but um, my, like my existence isn't dependent on someone else. It's just not. Um, I, I feel like my life is richer with her in it, but my existence is not reliant on her. Um, totally. And so, and, you know, and I, I, I really, I really appreciate hearing that from people who are married because what I've sort of learned, because like people sort of, people always ask, you know, like, do you want to get married or do you not want to get married mm-hmm. when you're not married? And I'm like, well, I can't ask, I can't tell you whether I want to get married because I'm not dating anyone right now. Mm. <laughs> like, I, that depends on you know the person who I would marry, right? Mm-hmm. But like, what I've learned is that you know I could get married if I want to, but also like if I don't ever get married, if I don't ever find like, a, 
I don't even want to say fine. Like if I don't ever settle down into a relationship that becomes, you know, my everyday, that becomes mm-hmm. something where like we're living together. Like you're a nesting partner. And yeah. Like I don't, I don't need that. I don't need that to feel not lonely. Mm-hmm. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't make me feel like I won't ever be lonely because there are definitely times in my last relationship where I felt very alone. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. We both have gone through that in mm-hmm. the Mr. Mary, you know, you can be technically with somebody and still feel very, cause you're still individuals and you're still going to go through, you know, go through stuff that ultimately has nothing to do with the other person. Right. And like, I don't want to be living. It, it does not, it does not make me feel safer or happier or, like any, it doesn't make me feel like I can like more lay, secure. More <laughs> secure. It doesn't make me feel more secure to be living a parallel life with someone who I have no connection with, who are just living Absolutely in the same not. house. And I feel that like makes that's, me feel worse, honestly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I feel like that's what a lot of marriage looks like to me from the outset. And <laughs> you know what? And I don't want to. And I don't want to judge that because I think that for some people that does make them feel secure. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I would never judge what makes you feel secure if it doesn't hurt you or anyone else. But right. I for me, I just know that like. I can lay down in my bed and feel alone and, you know, I I can even feel lonely in my bed and like, you know, cry and, you know, have a, have a good cry about it. But when I'm Mm -hmm. done with that good cry, like I still feel like I am myself, like I'm centered in myself. Mm. And you know what, if someone wants to come along and we want to figure out what that looks like for the two of us, because, you know, Mm -hmm. That's great. I'm open to that, but I'm also open to the fact, to the possibility that that never happens. Mm-hmm. And that, and that being the case, like, you know, what does my life look like? And that's exciting to me. Like, there's no mm-hmm. answers. And like, I'm 34, and like, even being 34 and not married and not in a relationship, I'm just like, that's, I that I, I'm surprised that I don't feel any kind of way about that mm. because at 29 or sort of like at 29 or 30, I thought that I would, and okay. I so really you're don't. In a different. You're in a different. Which I mean, it's similar it's like going back to what you said about like just feeling more um, I guess self-assured is the best way to put it but it makes a difference I mean like honestly I feel like there's a certain degree of weight that isn't on me because I do feel um just secure in myself regardless of the relationship um and so that can just add to it and so I'm I'm honestly glad that um like my wife is on her own journey to really um reinforce that feeling in herself um to really just do things that are like this is just for you. Like you develop, you know, friendships outside of folks that you met through me. You develop, you know, you have, of course, interests outside of me. You explore those things without me having to be involved. Um, you focus on your own mental health and not worry about, like, not, I don't want to say not worry about mine, but like not, not worry about mine to the extent of like where you put yours on a back burner. Like I got mine, I can handle my own and you can handle yours. Um, so I think it's, and I'm seeing um, the impact that's having. So, you know, it's an adjustment, but, um, and, but to me, it's for the better because I'm like, you know, I want you to, I want you to have that feeling. Like, I know how I feel in myself to where it makes certain things less scary. Like it makes um, the prospect of like, let's say us not being together. It makes that not feel scary to me. It feels sad. Like the idea of it feels sad to me, but not scary because I don't feel like, oh my God, how will my life go on without this person? It doesn't feel insurmountable. Right. Right. Like, it's like, okay, the idea is definitely sad. I'm like, okay, you know, I want to be with you or whatever, but it, but yeah, it doesn't feel insurmountable and it doesn't feel, um, yeah, it just doesn't feel scary. And you know, like, and like, I, I, I sort of mentioned at the top of the podcast that like, I, um, I had like a falling out with a really good friend earlier mm-hmm. this year, my best friend, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not my best friend anymore, I guess. But um, by the time she ended that friendship, like I had sort of, you know, evaluated my role in sort of how our friendship had 
devolved, had, had mm-hmm. sort of broken, had sort of broken down and really got to, you know, my role in it. And like, you know, I did bear the brunt of the responsibility for that. So by the time she did, you know, say like, you know, she needs to put this on the back burner and not, de- and not be in this anymore. Mm-hmm. I was able to, I was able to like say, you know what, you're right. I'm sorry. I wasn't better. I didn't say, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I didn't say, I'm sorry. I couldn't be better. I'm saying, I sorry. I'm sorry. I wasn't better in right. this friendship and you know, love to you always because like being sort of in that nebulous space before the official sort of cutting off of everything, mm-hmm. I realized like, oh, like it's devastating at first and it's still devastating, but like, I don't need this person and this person doesn't need me. Right. We, lo- we love, we still have love for each other always, but like, it's not a matter of needing each other. It's that we, mm-hmm. we, we enriched each other's lives. And you know what? I'm glad that she ended our friendship when she felt like I was no longer being an enriching part of her life because mm-hmm. I want, she chose herself. She chose herself and I will always love and respect her for that. And I am glad she did that mm-hmm. because no, I, I definitely, um, I definitely agree. I had like a, my, like my best friend or whatever that friendship ended and I had a lot of, I didn't see, I see, I wasn't able to see um, kind of what was the breakdown and all that. It just, it was honestly very sudden. Um, and it just seemed like it was out of the blue. Um, but um, in the end, like, as I've gotten older and I've just looked back at stuff, like those friendships and relationships that have ended, I'm, I'm like, I'm glad you chose yourself. I don't have to understand all the inner workings of it or whatever, but you chose yourself and I, I can appreciate that. So it, puts me in a different place with it like I just don't feel it doesn't make me feel the same way like when I think about it from that perspective yeah the concept of ghost like I don't think I would ever ghost someone and you know my friend my friend did not ghost me like she was very um she is very kind and she was Mm -hmm. she was she was remarkably kind and she ended our friendship very kindly and um what I will say was that like, even, even like the concept of ghosting does not bother me as much as it did when I was in my twenties where mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what, if you got to bounce sometimes and you just got to bounce right? And, and you can't even deal with like, cause you know what, like no answer is an answer. Yes, that's, that's it, it is. Even if we don't like it, it still mm-hmm. is. And that's the place I had to get to. Initially, I definitely felt some kind of way um, because I dealt with basically being ghosted and I'm just like, what in the world? But after time, I'm just like, I don't, I don't feel the same way. I'm like, you have to do what you have to do. Um, and if ghosting is what choosing yourself looks like, that's what it looks like. Like I, my life has gone on and it will continue to go on. Absolutely. So yours. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, that's what I've learned. So I'm not getting emotional now, but like it's, um, it is going on. And like our relationship and our friendship ended at the top of quarantine. If you want to mm. talk about like, and you know what? Like it really, I don't think I've learned now I'm like getting like all like happy and like, like, like I've learned so much what I can, first of all, I've learned what my patterning is in terms of friendships mm-hmm. and how I do do certain things. And, you know, I'm learning to address that shit. Like, mm-hmm. and also I'm learning that I'm very strong and that I don't necessarily need to stay alone and I don't need to bottle up my shit in my, in my bedroom, but like I can go through things that feel like a year ago, a year ago, if you had told me um, that I would be in this place with her, it would have it would have sounded devastating to me. Mm-hmm. And it is devastating, but it's also livable. And right. I'm I'm often happy. I can just I can wake up and choose myself, and I can choose to learn how to address my shit. Mm-hmm. And I can and I can. I don't think I necessarily would have done that had she not ended our friendship. I don't want to make that. That sounds mm-hmm. very selfish, but 
when someone ends a relationship, it's like what you're saying with your marriage, it's like, you have to learn, you know, it'll be sad. It'll be like, you can imagine your life without, you know, your wife. And, you know, like we have to sort of imagine like what our life would look like if we didn't have, cause like everything, everything could be taken away from us. You know, people can be taken, people are taken away from us. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, what does your life look like if you don't have this? Right. And I think like I've been asking myself that more. About it's something seven. we can't be afraid to imagine. Yeah, I've been asking myself that a lot. I've been asking myself that question a lot about um, a lot of different people in my life. And I've also Mm -hmm. been asking that about a lot of things that I really think that I value that I need more than, Mm. because like there's things that you think you need. Same. Oh my gosh. Yeah, um, that's where X marks the spot. That's where I'm at. (laughs) Like, okay, what does your life look like without this? Like not, not, not just people, but like things. That I think that does circle back to like, how do you love? Because like the question of how do you love what like what I was really getting at that was what I was getting at with that was um how do you love when it's just you like when you don't have any mm-hmm. of the other things that you thought you like all the other trappings and all the other adornments like how do you just by yourself with nothing else no nothing to age you no money no mm-hmm. um no other people yeah like how do you love no like activities what's like? <laughs> you know just exactly just you ooh activities that the yeah. like, being alone with someone and not doing anything that is a test right. Like it really is, but I mean, as I'm in terms of the the place that I'm in now in my journey, I think that's um, like I know how to be by myself, and the even the prospect of being by myself does not scare me. But now um, I think what I'm going through in my therapeutic <laughs> journey is um, I'm really in this place of looking at what is most important to me and what you know being. Uh, receptive to letting go, like being receptive to receiving and also being receptive to letting go. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also um, making more space in myself um, for happiness, um, not allowing a bunch of things or people or circumstances or activities or whatever to take up so much space that like I have too much clutter, too much internal clutter to be receptive to truly being happy with just exactly that that's what i was trying to get at and i just i didn't want to say it explicitly but like that's what i was trying to get at because i can wake up every day with this friendship that's ended because you know what at the end of the day if the if the vibe has kind of gotten sort of if the vibe has soured Mm -hmm. you know even if you're the person who contributed who contributed to it souring you're still allowed to walk away or still allowed to let go of it because you can look at it and be like you know what this is not my best work I did not do mm-hmm. my best work here. Mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> I can acknowledge that. Okay. And I yeah. can walk away and I can still walk away from myself. And even if it's like, I mean, when I say walk away, I mean like letting go of it, mm-hmm. letting go of it wholly and like not trying to, like, I'm remarkably proud of myself that I haven't sent any text messages or mm-hmm. left any voicemails. I haven't called. I haven't, you know, and like, it's been quarantine. Like we're all right. worried about, we're all worried about our loved ones. I'm, mm-hmm. and I've just, you know what, I've, I've let it be what it is. And mm-hmm. it is what I've talked about friendship instead of romantic love. I'm sorry. But, but no, but I, but that's important too. And um, I, you know, I'm all for just like love in general, because I, I don't uh, look at um, platonic love or like love and friendship. Cause I don't even want to strictly say platonic um, because you can have, you know, love between friends that isn't strictly platonic, but just love in general, um, which is something I'm glad that it ended up coming up in this episode. Um, but yeah, because I think that is important because, you know, all those relationships and all those different like types of love matter. Um, and 
I think sometimes they can look a little different between queer folks and among queer folks than they do for straight folks. Not not saying like, oh, well, straight folks don't have this kind of relationship. It's just, I think there there's other elements to it. Um, it's just not the same. Like, I just think there's other elements to it. But for sure. Yeah, I think all that's um, important. Um, and I think that it's um, a, a daily, for me, like a just a continuing journey of getting more and more and more uh, settled into myself. Um, and so I, I felt, you know, like I was very like self-assured and settled into myself at 23 or whatever. But now, nearly 10 years later, like, I just, I, it's a, another level. And so there's a, a type of peace that comes with that. And so I'm just like, I'm in such a different place. And a big part of that has definitely been during quarantine because I've had more time to kind of hone in on some stuff in therapy and just like really unpack some shit, <laughs> really unpack some stuff. Um, but I just feel, I feel lighter because I don't feel weighed down, weighed down by like um, a bunch of things or people or anything. I just, I feel like all else fails, or if it comes down to it, like I got me, um, I am enough, and everything else is bonus. Like I feel like everything else, everything and everybody else is a bonus. My wife is a bonus, like a bonus that I rather enjoy, but a bonus nonetheless. Like I am whole by myself and with myself, and so um, you know, really just continuing to like nurture that. I think and, is what. And, and you also love yourself. You also love mm -hmm. yourself. And that's yeah, not like, no, like, I don't want to like get all cheesy and talk about like the greatest love of all, but like it is, it is necessary to, like, I don't, there are a lot of people who like the way they talk, the way they carry themselves, the way they talk about their work, the way they talk about other people. I'm like, oh, you don't like yourself and it's not pleasant to be around. Right. And that's the thing too. It's like, yeah, you love yourself, but do you like, like yourself? I mean, and that's like, that's its own thing, you know, like that is its own thing. Like, do you actually, like, do I like who I am as a person? Yeah, and I've I learned can that say I like at my like I I I like who I'm who I am as a person. I think I have a good heart. Like I I actually like I can pinpoint like these are the qualities that I like about myself as opposed to being like oh well do I just say I I love myself as like this perfunctory thing or do I actually like do I like myself and like you know do like for real for real and so that's something that I can honestly say like I do actually and I don't know that I can't say that I always felt that way honestly um, because I, I don't know that I already that I even thought about it like before sure, but now sure. today i'm like oh absolutely like without question i i like myself and i love myself before quarantine i definitely would have answered yes to that question if someone asked me but in terms of being sure about that i'm not sure but like like at like i would say around like month five of quarantine or so like who knows how long we actually that's who knows how long <laughs> it's been so damn long but like you know quarantine really got me to like i do like, like I get frustrated with myself. I get down on myself mm -hmm, sometimes, I, but like, I, I definitely get frustrated with myself. <laughs> I, I ultimately like myself. I like what my impulses are in terms of like, I've, I learned that my impulse is to treat people well. If I mm -hmm. like, and it's not, and I don't want, I don't want to say that like, you know, like I'm patting myself on the back, but like, I, I value, like, I want to, I want people to be, I want people to feel safe is one of, what's mm -hmm. one of the things I learned about myself. That's me. Yeah. And I like, and I like that about myself and I want them to feel safe in a way completely separate from wanting to do that for them. Mm -hmm. like, and like wanting to be a martyr and a hero. Like I just, I want people to be able to have access to finding their own safety mm -hmm. on their own terms and doing things their own way. 
um i've learned that, that has I been my transition yeah. that yeah, like that part right there that you just said that's literally like i had to go from a place of honestly being like a martyr to keep people safe to still wanting people to be safe but not like you know throwing myself into the fire for that i don't have to like people can access their own safety and i have to access and hold mine um and that's been such a major shift let me give Karen a chance to let y'all know where you can find him. Um, if you want to keep up with his work, um, check out the podcast or just be nosy and follow him on Twitter. I will say um, definitely worth the follow. Um, <laughs> lots of good stuff. And not just like from a, a like humor perspective, but just in general. Um, I love following just brilliant as Black folks and brilliant as queer folks. And Karen is one of those. So um, yeah, go ahead and follow him on Twitter. But what's the information for the podcast? Uh, thank you, first of all. I very much appreciate those kind words. Um, I feel the same way about you. And my podcast, you can follow it on Twitter at You Started It Pod, all one word. That's Y O U Started It, S T A R T E D I T P O D. You Started It Pod at twitter.com. And we have not had, I, I don't know why I'm saying we, it's just me. I'm the host and the producer and the, <laughs> and the secretary. <laughs> but, um, um, I am really excited about some of the guests that I've booked for the next leg of episodes and I've recorded a couple. Um, some are from back then, but like we, I will be putting out new episodes soon. And yeah, and there's also some, there's a lot of back stuff there. Javia has an episode where she talks about sort of being influenced by PBS growing up and you know, it led to some great conversation. There's some really good stuff. Such it's a, a sh- little nerdy kid. Yeah. I love my PBS. I'm still still part of that uh, PBS gang. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, and th- if you feel any kind of way like about PBS and like and that nostalgia, that's definitely an episode to check out. But one thing that I've allowed myself to say more and that I feel is that like I'm really proud of the podcast that I've put out. I'm really proud to put my name on it. Um, I feel like it has led to some great conversations for me and I was so happy to share it with the public and I'm happy to share it with them again with new episodes and check it out. I'm, I love I'm it. looking for, I'm looking forward My baby. to them. I'm definitely, and I, I, I just think it's such a great fucking concept um, for a podcast. Um, great conversations, great concept. Um, yeah, I'm biased, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not ashamed in my biases. Um, but yeah, so y'all already know. Um, I'll include the information in the show notes so that you can um, check out the podcast as well as um, just Karen's, uh, I guess, personal account or individual account um, separate from the podcast. But I'll include all the information in the show notes for y'all to go be nosy. thank you Uh, so um that is it for this episode thank you all for tuning in and y'all know i I always say the same thing for my intro but i don't have an actual outro i just be like all right y'all i'm done bye (laughs) but same maybe i'll uh figure that out or maybe i won't maybe i'll just be like all right y'all that's it i'm done talking to y'all goodbye Queer is a main hustle media podcast hosted by Javier Nicole. BRQ is produced and edited by Charmaine Fury, and the show's theme music was created by The Brothers Records. You can connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at Black Rat Queer. That's B L K R A D Q W R. You can also connect with us on Facebook through the Black Radical Queer Podcast Facebook fan page or the BRQ Discussion Group. 
You can get Black Rat Queer merch on teespring.com slash Black Rat Queer, B-L-K-R-A-D-Q-W-R. And you can leave a voicemail, call in, ask a question, those types of things on the BRQ Google Voice line. And that number is 937-601-8647. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.